Hi, and thank you for listening to the Ask the Pastor podcast. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your new host, Thad Yessa, and I'm excited to dive into this week's question. This week's question comes to us from Cole, and he asks, What is West Hills' stance on women in position of leadership? For instance, can women be pastors or elders here? Seriously, Thad? Your first week on the podcast, and you're going to throw this topic at me? We can't just talk about Kanye West or something? I'm, uh, I, gotta, I told Thad I had to give him a hard time um, as part of his hazing here in the office. Uh, hey, welcome to the podcast, man. Happy to be here. Good to have you with us. Um, no, I chose this podcast uh, topic for us this week. Um, and as always, I, I choose from the options that you all, our listeners, send us. And so please do subscribe and continue to send us your questions. Uh, but this one was asked specifically um, at a recent membership class here at West Hills. And I thought the topic was particularly timely for us, especially with the recent news cycle, uh, at least in the Christian subculture um, here in the past week or two. And this sort of ongoing feud, I guess you could call it, between John MacArthur and Beth Moore. So let me just quickly touch on that before we even dive in. I think John MacArthur, if you've been at West Hills, you've heard me quote him a number of times. Um, He's one of the most gifted Bible teachers of our generation, Um, of his generation anyway. He's 80, so not exactly my generation. Um, But I can just speak personally for myself, and I know for many of us as Christians, especially those of us fellow teachers and preachers, we owe him a great debt of gratitude for his Bible commentaries, his study Bibles, um, his two dozen books he's published, his sermons and teachings. But uh, personally, I'll just speak for myself. I can't imagine him being my pastor, uh, <laughs> my preacher maybe, but um, you know, Paul calls us in Ephesians 4.15 to speak the truth in love. And I sometimes joke that I think MacArthur titled his ministry, Grace to You, as a reminder to himself to work grace somewhere into his teaching. Um, John MacArthur does not need any reminders to preach the truth, uh, but it's all about speaking the truth in love. And as many people I think have rightly pointed out since MacArthur's recent comments directed at Beth Moore, um, love and grace sure seem to be in short supply in his words, and uh, that is regrettable to say the least, but guess what? John MacArthur is a sinner in need of grace too. So let me just segue us into the topic this way by actually giving some context for his comments there that might help frame up our discussion today. Um, You may or may not know MacArthur was at a a conference a couple weeks back. He was invited to play a game of word association on stage in front of the crowd because that's a great biblical model for pastoring. And uh, when prompted with the words, Beth Moore, MacArthur responded with the phrase, go home. And when asked to expound on that, he replied, there is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher, period, paragraph, end of discussion. Now, if you're new to the church world, Beth Moore is pretty much um, a rock star. She's kind of the Michael Jordan of female Bible teachers. She's been in the ministry for 40 plus years, touring the world, leading women's conferences, putting out curriculums and Bible studies. Um, as far as I can tell from the little bit of research I did in preparation for this podcast, um, for most of Moore's career, she turned down teaching and speech, speaking gigs in co-ed, mixed-gender settings. She wouldn't, uh, you know, she'd often get invited um, to speak at churches on Sunday mornings, and she would decline. But more recently, uh, Moore has opened up and suggested that something changed for her. 
um, a couple years ago with the advent of the Me Too movement, especially with the election of Donald Trump to the presidency in spite of some of his history with women, and that Moore has said she felt called to, to start saying and doing more. So that was a context for MacArthur's comments is that Beth Moore has begun taking more speaking engagements in churches on Sundays, whether she would call what she's doing there preaching or teaching or anything else. What's important, of course, is not what she calls it, but what it is and what, why she's doing it and what effect it's having on the church. And so with that as a backdrop, I want to do three things here today. I want to, number one, get the text in front of us because at the end of the day, like I preached last week on Reformation Sunday, all that really matters here is not what MacArthur thinks or what Beth Moore thinks or what I think or what Dad thinks or any of our listeners think, but what the Word of God says, uh, Sola Scriptura. And yes, we have to interpret it, but I mean, so many of the people raging on Twitter over this debate haven't even read <laughs> haven't even read the text on on this topic. So let's do that at least read it. And then number two, I'll I'll give you my own interpretation. We don't have time for an in depth study, but I'll give you my quick interpretation, which just so happens to coincide with West Hill's interpretation of the text and as reflected in our church constitution. Um, and then number three, let's reserve just a few moments at the end for. Uh, application of our interpretation of the text. What does this mean practically for the women at West Hills? So number one, um, the most significant text on on this topic of um, women in positions of leadership, and particularly in the church, is 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15, but especially verse 12. Uh, Paul says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Again, I'll, I'll try and s save myself from uh, interpretation until point two. But I just want to reread verse 12 in particular. That's kind of what all of this hinges on. <laughs> I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then Paul go, goes on to ground that uh, biblical injunction in the created order itself from Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve. Second passage, uh, next chapter actually, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, uh, in Paul's qualifications for elders. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Might go back to chapter 2 on who's able to teach. Uh, verse 3, not a drunkard, but not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And again, even with the managing of the household, we might go to Ephesians 5 for Paul's um, prescriptions for that and, and, and who leads the household. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might uh, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauch debauchery or insubordination, uh, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And then he goes on um, and, and again says elders must be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, rebuke those who contradict it. And lastly, uh, in the next chapter of Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So a lot of distinctions there between old men, older women, young men, younger men. And, and frankly, that, that phrase, I think, from MacArthur, go home, probably was a reference as much as anything there to, to Titus 2, uh, 5. Um, women, women work at home. Uh, now, there are plenty of other texts we could bring in here uh, and, and that do get pulled into this discussion often, but specifically on the, on the topic of whether biblically women can and should be pastors and preachers, I think those are the most central four that we have to deal with. So, with all of the text in front of us, number two, how has West Hills interpreted them? Uh, again, unfortunately, I don't have the time for a deeper kind of exegesis, not to mention a critical examination of the counter-interpretations of the text, but I will link uh, what I think are some helpful uh, articles and resources in the show notes for you today. I strongly encourage our listeners, look over those uh, and informing your own opinion on the matter. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, at West Hills, we, we have interpreted First Timothy and Titus here um, in, in, in the same way that mm, the vast majority of churches for the past 2,000 years have. Uh, what I would consider to be a plain sense reading of the text. When we talk about hermeneutics with the Bible, we're talking about the lens through which we interpret the Bible. And I think the safest hermeneutic uh, to protect ourselves from ourselves, from eisegesis, which is reading into the text what we want to find there, as opposed to exegesis, reading out of the text what is actually there. The safest way to make sure that the Bible stays God's word and not my word um, is most often Occam's razor, uh, the principle that the simple, simplest answer is usually the right one. And so personally, I have read, I've seen, I've heard, I've studied, I've, I've personally bought into and believed for a whole phase of my life. I sat under the preaching of not one, but two female pastors for six years of my life. And so trust me when I say I understand and I empathize with the arguments for why uh, women can and should be pastors and preachers, both the extra biblical arguments the reasons not found explicitly in Scripture, as well as the biblical ones, the ways of interpreting 1 Timothy 2, 3, Titus 1 and 2, that allow for women elders, preachers, and pastors. But uh, having studied it all, for me personally, and for us as a church, West Hills, and for the vast majority of pastors and scholars, theologians over time, I think sometimes we're guilty of sort of the, the bias of, of the, the immediate, you know, what's right in front of us, this historical moment, as opposed to looking at the wisdom of interpretation over the last 2,000 years of church history. Um, the, the scripture seems to be pretty clear that you, you have to do some very challenging interpretive gymnastics to read Paul in those four passages and walk away thinking, yeah, I'm pretty confident if Paul hopped in a time machine and we asked him even today in our culture, how do you feel about women pastoring? I think Paul would be all for it. I just personally, I don't see that coming out of the text um, in particular because Paul specifically grounds his teaching here about uh, male and female roles with respect to both the family and the church. Uh, he grounds it in the created order itself from Genesis and 
yes, I know we live in a day and age when we question even that. It, it, and it, in many ways, it doesn't make sense to debate gender roles in a culture where the entire concept of gender has become just that, merely a concept, an, an empty, meaningless one. If the words male and female no longer have meaning, then the whole discussion of male and female roles is a moot one, but that, I guess, is a different uh, related podcast episode for another week. Um, but to, to just be very clear, transparent, succinct, and literal about our stance as a church, let me just read an excerpt for you from our church constitution. It's actually the, the lengthiest treatment of this topic of gender roles for us comes in our appendix as a church constitution, uh, specifically in regard to our providing, quote, a biblical rationale for both male and female deacons and deaconesses. So it's interesting that whenever this this provision appendix was added to our constitution, that it was actually to justify our more dare I say, liberal position that women can actually be deaconesses, which many churches still don't allow. But here is our stance on that. Um, We do allow women deaconesses, and here's why. Number one, the Greek word for deacon can be either masculine or feminine in the same form. And number two, in the middle of the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Paul says the women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. This could be the wives of the deacons, but could also be the women deacons. The latter is suggested by the fact that no reference to women is made in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, since women were not candidates for the eldership in the New Testament. Uh, and then we specifically quote 1 Timothy 2, 2 12, women ought not to... To, to teach or exercise authority over man. Uh, because of its authoritative function in teaching and oversight, the absence of the reference to women in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, would be expected, but this confirms the probability that the reference to women in 3.11 is to women deacons, not merely the wives of deacons. Uh, point number three, the deacons were distinguished from the elders and that they were not the governing body in the church, nor were they charged with the duty of authoritative teaching. So the role of deacons seems not to involve anything that Paul uh, taught is inappropriate for women to perform in the church. See 1 Timothy 2.12 again. Uh, Number four, in the church at Rome, Phoebe is very probably called a deacon. Um, And then we quote Romans 16.1 and 2. You can look at that on your own. Number five, it appears that the role of a deacon is of such a nature that nothing stands in the way of women's full participation in it. Within the diaconate itself, the way that women and men relate to each other should be guided by the sense of appropriateness growing out of the biblical teaching of male and female complementarity. So that is our church interpretation um, of, of women leadership, specifically in regard to elders, deacons, which transitions us to point number three, application What does all of this mean for us here at West Hills? For women at West Hills in particular, are women second-class citizens here? Have we put a glass ceiling on their ability to use their spiritual gifts that God has blessed them with? What are women allowed to do? And I mean, even saying that for me, it it almost feels wrong saying that. What are women allowed to do? Like women need my permission as the pastor to do something. I just want to be really clear. As a church, we are just trying to be true to Scripture here. So regardless of whatever the message that our culture sends us, um, that, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to decide for ourselves. Uh, Like I asked us again last Sunday, who are we going to look to as our ultimate authority? Um, You know, is it going to be our culture or is it going to be God's word? And, And beyond that, if we understand the Bible to be the authoritative word of 
a good and loving and empowering God, the kind of God who chooses to use broken sinners like me and you and the women of West Hills as his appointed vessels for reaching other broken sinners with the good news of Jesus, the kind of God that would trust me with that kind of a high calling. Am I also going to trust that any limitation that he would put on what roles we have each been specifically designed to play in his kingdom, that God knows best, that he knows what he's doing, that it's his choice to create us, male and female, both equally in his image, both with identical inherent worth and value, but both differently in our appointed roles and functions, both that we play, again, within the context of marriage as well as the context of church leadership. Um, I, I know for me, I'm going to trust that God has his reasons for doing that. And frankly, I can speak from personal experience again that it seems to, to, to be true, that it works best. Leadership in the home and leadership in the church work better when we trust and respect and follow God's design for it. And so uh, let me just leave us with eight principles um, for determining whether eight principles leaving. I've still got another page and a half. Don't, don't get up just yet. Uh, eight principles for determining whether a role within the church is one that a woman should be biblically pursuing. And I'm going to quote here an excellent article by Mary uh, Cassian um, that she wrote for Desiring God that I, I'll, again, link in the show notes, entitled, Where Can Women Teach? And so I'll read an excerpt, but the whole thing deserves you, your read. So Cassian says, Christians gather at many times uh, and in many contexts. There's Sunday morning gatherings, Sunday school, uh, small groups, prayer meetings, seminars, conferences. What, what's more, Christians often gather for religious edification and, and instruction with people who don't even go to their church. They can listen to podcasts, watch videos, read books. The Bible doesn't specifically address these contexts. As a woman, how do I decide if teaching in these other religious co-ed contexts is appropriate? She says, the way I determine if teaching in a specific religious venue to a co-ed audience honors male headship is by trying to determine how closely that particular situation mimics the nature, role, and function of a church father in governing and providing public doctrinal instruction for the local church family. In particular, I try to pin down where the venue sits on the following eight continuums, and I think this is really helpful. The more a teaching venue leans towards the left, the first part of each pairing, the less likely it is that it's a venue that's appropriate one for me to provide co-ed instruction. The more the speaking venue leans toward the right, the second part of each pairing she's about to give us, the more likely it is that I find it uh, helpful that I'd be a teacher in this context. So number one, the context. She's got context, nature, authority, relationship, commitment, obligation, constancy, and maturity. Number one, context. Is it congregational? like a church or non-congregational? Is this a local church or is it not exactly a church? Number two, the nature. Is it exegetical or is it more testimonial and inspirational? Am I forcefully interpreting a text of scripture or sharing from my life and experience with biblical support? Number three, the authority. Is it governmental, directive, or non-governmental, non-directive? Am I establishing the official standard for this community? Number four, relationship. Is it close, personal, relational, or is it a distant, impersonal, non-relational setting? Am I in a community relationship with these men? Am I seeking to mentor them? Number five, commitment. Is it formal or informal? Have there listeners here made a formal commitment to me or to this community? Number six, obligation. 
Is it obligatory or voluntary? Are the listeners obliged to listen to the teaching that's taking place? Can they be dis- disciplined and corrected for failing to obey? Number seven, constancy. Is this habitual and ongoing speaking arrangement or is it occasional? Does this happen often and repetitively or infrequently? And lastly, maturity. Uh, Am I speaking as a sister or as a mother? Does my age and spiritual maturity here create a situation where I'm speaking as a a mother would to her son? So then Cassian ends with sort of a test case, um, speaking at a big national conference, which she gets asked to do like Beth Moore frequently. And depending on the context, she, she agrees to do that. But for us here at West Hills, we might more practically ask, you know, what about a life group setting? Can a, can a woman lead a life group? What about a co-ed, adult Sunday school class? Can she lead that? These are all great questions, and I'm glad that we're discussing them as a church alongside so many other churches right now, uh, especially in the wake of, of this kind of recent Facebook firestorm. Uh, but I just want to end all of this by reminding us that this, this is really not a core issue for us as a church in, in many ways. It's, it's an appendix issue. Um, that's important enough to be in our Constitution, but it's not a statement of faith issue for us. It's not a core beliefs issue. It's an important one. And yes, it does involve other core issues for us, in particular our stance on Scripture being God's ultimately authoritative word in all matters of faith and practice. But again, how that plays out and how we interpret that, for me, I'm a complementarian. I think that's where the biblical evidence leads us. But I trust that my egalitarian brothers and sisters, both at the church across the street from us here, as well as right here in our own pews, because I know we have egalitarians at West Hills. And I trust you know, their heart for the Lord and that, that they're trying to, to do right by his word as well. Um, and I would just end by saying, I, I love that about us as a church. I love that about West Hills, that our, our, our commitment to that sort of reformation uh, motto that in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity um, that as a church that we are focused enough on the gospel on the essentials uh, the central truth of God's word that we can make room for others who might disagree with the interpretation of it at times and, and even worship alongside them um, freely and lovingly when we disagree on these non-gospel issues so I don't know, Thad, did I do it? Did I dodge the bullet on this one? I sure hope so. I'm not answering any <laughs> phone calls from here on out. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform and give us a five-star rating. But that's it for this week. Have a good day.